listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We're in a series called Church Hurt. And this series, I I pray, has been eye-opening for you. I pray God has been speaking to you. Um, I pray some of those hatchets and some of those old bad things that you buried that you forgot about, that are someday going to come back up and try to chop you into pieces. I hope that you've allowed the Holy Spirit to reveal them and to bring them back up so you can deal with them. Because listen, we want a firm foundation, like the song says. We want a firm foundation. And we have to deal with those things if we're going to have that firm foundation. So the first week we talked about acknowledging the hurt. Man, acknowledging the hurt, that, that hurts. Did you know that? Uh, realizing, hey, yes, I am hurt. I am in pain. I am broken. And realize that, that while we're specifically talking about church hurt here, we're also talking about hurt that comes from any organization that you might be involved in. Okay? You, you might be involved in some club. You might be involved in um, um, some, you know, a, a group or, you know, whatever. Uh, you also are for surely involved in a family. I know nobody in here has ever experienced hurt from your family. None of your family members have ever hurt you, have ever said anything against you. They've never hit you. You've never been punched by your little brother. Or, I mean, I know that's nobody in here. But here's the truth, guys, is that if you're going to have people in an organization, you're going to experience hurt. And so we acknowledge the hurt the first week. Last week, we, uh, we forgave the hurt, which is tough. It's hard. Okay? Forgiveness is advanced Christianity. It's not super easy. Um, it requires you uh, to swallow a lot of pride and to relinquish your desire and your need. You think it's a need, but it's really just a want for justice. I need them to suffer like I've suffered and then we're even. Listen, when you and them suffer both, y'all all all suffer. Nobody wins. Okay? So you have to relinquish that. And the way we do that is through the act of forgiving. It doesn't mean that what they did was okay, but it does mean that you're okay. But today, we're going to talk about preventing the hurt. Now, before you say, look, bro, I needed this like a year ago or I needed this like 10 years ago. Let me tell you, you need prevention of hurt just as much now as you did back then. And here's the reason is because hurts are going to come. Hurts are coming through the line that you may not have experienced a hurt in the last couple weeks. But at some point, somebody's going to say something that rubs you the wrong way. Maybe it's in the church. Maybe it's somebody at the cubicle next to you at your office. Maybe it's somebody in your family. They're going to rub you the wrong way and you have to deal with what to do with that potential hurt. If we're going to prevent hurt, though, we need to know exactly how hurt happens. So I took some time and, and wrote down some things that, like in 25 years of being a pastor, this is some things that I've seen from people um, where hurts have kind of like lived in these areas. And so I'm going to share those with you um, today. And, and listen, I, I, I talk about this in the terms of we. Like all the words are like we have, we have, we have. And the reason is because I want you to understand that you have the ability to hurt somebody just as much as they have the ability to hurt you. And so I want to be sure that we understand that every one of us is one step away from doing some harm to somebody. We have to be okay with understanding that we all fail and we all need God's grace. Amen? Amen. Hurts always happen when people are doing things like the following. We develop unreasonable expectations of people in the church or the church itself. We put absolute faith or trust in a person. I'm begging you to not put me on a pedestal. I might need to because I'm very short. But... I'm a human being. You know, I'm, 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 I'm flawed too. I'm by far from, per- like, ask if I'm perfect. My wife will tell you, he's not perfect, okay? Love you, babe. So, 
I have, I have issues too. And, and I've been guilty of, of putting a pastor on a pedestal and everything he said was like it came from God himself. He's a human being. And if I put all my faith in a human being, whenever that person hurts me, guess what happens to me? I get hurt. But when I put my faith and trust in the Lord, I can avoid some of that hurt. So I can't put people on a pedestal. We aren't focusing on the kingdom. We're talking about self-focused Christianity here. When, the, when, when faith is, and Christianity is all about you, you're going to fail and you're going to get hurt. Um, you know these people sometimes, they, they think that they are the center of the Christian world. You know what I'm talking about? You ever met somebody like that? Um, everything is about how it relates to them. They read the Bible and they're not looking for Jesus, they're looking for them. Okay? And so we have to be careful we're not doing that. Um, we expect perfection from people, but grace for ourselves. We expect people to act right every single time, and it's just not possible. Um, we are selfish promoting our own agenda and wants. Um, I'm just going to leave that one alone. Uh, we blame church people for our own personal problems. Oof. That one might hit close to home. We have issues. We have problems. And we, we say it's the church that is the, is the reason they're the problems. Okay, so wait a minute now. Can an organization or can people in an organization exacerbate some of the problems that you have personally that you brought in? Absolutely. But we are always looking for the root of what's wrong, not the symptoms of what's wrong. Fixing symptoms means I spend the rest of my life fixing symptoms. I will, I will, I will have to invest in Band-Aid. I put so many Band-Aids on myself because I'm just fixing the symptom. I need to fix the root of what the problem is, so I'll stop bleeding. Okay? That's what we're talking about here. Um, we expect the church to fix our problems instead of Jesus. Hear me right now. We cannot fix your problem. What I'll do, though, is I will point you to the one that can fix your problem. Okay? I'll walk with you as we fix the problem together with Jesus because he's the one that does it all. Okay? Um, we aren't getting what we want when we want it. And I don't know. I couldn't get into worship today because it's just, I don't know. It's, I don't like the songs and uh, that piano player is really bad. Wow, that hurts. Uh, he hits wrong notes a lot. My fingers are short, okay? I can't help it. Um, guess what? Worship ain't about you. It, something I love about what's happening at Asbury University is um, it's intentionally a no-name revival. I, I saw Carrie Job was driving past there. They didn't, Carrie didn't go in and do a set. The music isn't perfect. The voices aren't perfect, Okay? And here, the voices probably weren't all perfect. I don't know, I was, had headphones in, so I was trying to listen to the track. But it's not about perfect worship. It's about genuine worship. <laughs> what about this? And, um, we don't treat people how we want to be treated. Um, here's one. This is a good one. This is funny. Uh, we're not fatties. Um, it stands for faithful, available, teachable, initiators, encouragers, and service-oriented. LOL. Uh, we're more committed to our truth than to God's truth. This one is tied a lot to our identity because we can believe something about ourselves that we are this and it contradicts what God says you are. And if it contradicts what God says you are, what you're doing is you're believing your own truth over God's truth. Do you know what that's called in the Bible? Idolatry. That's what that's called is idolatry. We aren't committed to love and forgiveness. What about this one? We get caught up in the offenses of other people. 
What about this one? We attend, but, but we're not growing because we aren't internalizing what we've heard. We have so much hurt in us that we hurt others, both unintentionally and intentionally. We might not even be Christian to begin with. And as I'm sitting here thinking, there's one that could possibly be the issue too. Um, it could be you have issues inside of yourself, and anytime somebody tries to help you deal with your issues, you get mad at them because they're attacking you. Do you say that about the surgeon too, cutting the lump out of your body? Get away from me. You're, you're wanting to hurt me with that scalpel. What if they're trying to heal you? Wisdom is choosing and knowing what the difference is. Now, I know nobody in here has done anything like these, this, this list before. I get it. But when this happens, you know how we typically respond? It's with offense. We typically respond with offense. Um, Jesus had some really, really encouraging words about offense. In fact, I could just say this and we could leave and go home really happy, all right? He says in Luke 17, 1, It is impossible that no offenses should come. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Awesome. You could have saved us and made us like invincible to offense, but you didn't. It's interesting that, that when we think about offense, we normally think like to hurt or to harm, maybe even like to violate a law, like a, a, a moving violation of offense. Uh, but the root comes from a Latin word that means to hit, to strike, to wound, or to sin against someone. So if we're going to prevent hurt, i got a great idea. Let's just, everybody, get away from anybody that hits, strikes, wounds, or sins against us. Like, just go live by yourself in a hobbit hole somewhere. Now, you introverts are like, thank the Lord, the preacher finally said it. I don't have to talk to anybody for the rest of my life. But you will, within a week, be drawing faces on volleyballs like Tom Hanks did in that movie because you're so desperate to interact with people. That's what will happen. Whether you like it or not, God created a system where you need people. You cannot function without human interaction. But human interaction carries with it the potential. Know the guarantee that offenses will come. So here's the question. How do we prevent offense and thereby prevent hurt? Well, if I don't go to church, nobody can hurt me. That's one way to look at it. But that really doesn't work out because you know what? You need what comes with the body of Christ. When you're sitting at your house going through chemo, you need some family praying for you. You see what I'm saying? So here, here's what we do. Number one, we know that offenses will come. Now you might think, well, duh, you just said that. Yeah, but, but it's very important that you understand it and internalize it. They're coming. Well, I've been offended before. I don't know. I'm feeling good right now. They're coming. They're going to come. And let, let's use a story from Nehemiah to kind of uh, buttress this point. Nehemiah, I'm going to start reading chapter 6, verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at a place that starts with H in the plain of, Oh no! Um, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent message to them, messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. It was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. And I sent to him saying, no such things have, uh, um, 
as you say, have been done, you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Come on, some of y'all, that's a word for you. You feel like you're being beat down on every turn. Everybody's coming against you. And you're praying that God will stop them. And you're praying all this and that. You need to pray that God will strengthen your hands. Because it might just be the resolve that you need to complete the work that God's called you to do in this season is what you're going to need to face the next season. And He's using your struggle now to train you for what's coming. Come on, man. we got to be sure that we're thanking God no matter what's going on. Good, bad, and ugly. Because it just might be that God's using right now to teach you how to handle what's coming down the road. So there's this timeline here. In chapter 6, Nehemiah had completed the walls, but he didn't have, hadn't had the, the gates yet. Because of the process and the certainty of completion, the attacks of the enemy increased. So from the beginning of this project, Nehemiah and the Israelites had enemies trying to stop the work. Sanballat and other Samaritans, they were trying to discourage Israel. In chapter 2, they became angry and incensed that somebody had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. In chapter 4, they mocked them saying, even if a fox went on the wall, it would fall. Just trying to insult them. You ever felt like that? Like, my goodness, people are... It's, it's not even really about what I'm doing anymore. Now they're attacking me as a person, my integrity. And we see that that's what they did exactly to Nehemiah. He, he got to the, to the point where they realized that the four times that they messaged wasn't working. So what did they do? They attacked his integrity, man. Because of this, Nehemiah told the people in, in chapter 4, verse 15, When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And a leader stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon on the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. Now listen, I want to I say something here about this. We have to be careful that we don't have the purpose and the work in one hand and our sword in the other thinking that we are fighting against other people. Okay? The sword is not for your brother or sister in Christ. Your sword is for the enemy. It's very important you understand that, okay? But knowing that offenses will come will give you the opportunity to prepare for those offenses. I mean, if, if I just walked up and punched somebody out of the blue, we would call that a sucker punch. And anybody here that's a dude knows sucker punches mean mm, we're going to get you. Like, you don't sucker punch a dude, okay? You, you man up and, you know, punch, punch them right if you're going to punch somebody, right? But what if I said to you, I'm going to hit you in five seconds. What would you do? <laughs> okay. No. You would, you would get in. You, come on, man. That MMA would come out in you. You'd be like, you're right. Some of y'all be like, don't hit me, please. They're dentures. <laughs> Knowing that offenses come will, will allow you to prepare for them. Remember, hurts are unmet expectations. The problem is, though, in church, you expect not to get hurt, so it's a surprise when you do get hurt. But what if we went into church not thinking it's going to be a surprise if I get hurt? But what if we came to church thinking, at some point, somebody's going to say something that's going to rub me wrong? I'm going to get ready for it. Nehemiah knew an attack was coming. And listen to me, you're never going to experience life in service to God and in His kingdom and not have some attack in one way or the other. 
you're going to experience attack. Why? Because Satan does not want you to live the life that God's called you to live. So just, just get ready for it, man. It's going to happen. If you're being obedient to God, if you're walking in purpose, then expect the Sanballats and expect the Tobias and expect the Geshems. Expect that. Notice, it wasn't Satan. It wasn't even demons. It was people. The enemy was using people. And he'll do the same thing in your life. The enemy will use people in your life to hurt you and to offend you. And the reason they're doing that is so that the work will stop in you. You need to hear this. Satan will send everything he can to make sure the work stops in your life. I don't care if you're 13 or 1300. I don't care how old or young you are. If you're breathing air right now, there is a work that God has for you that he's called you to, a work that he's doing in you, and you are going to be attacked by the enemy until that work is completed. It's coming, man. It's going to happen. So you've got to make a decision right now. How am I going to handle it when the offense comes? Because if we can effectively deal with the offense, we can effectively deal with the hurt. Nehemiah knew the attack was coming, but he also knew how to be ready. One hand was accomplishing purpose. The other hand was accomplishing their defense. So if you really want to prevent offense and hurt, it's going to require you to have the tools in your hand to repel the attack. Now, they talked about doing work in one hand and having a sword in the other hand. But listen to me, your sword cannot be emotionalism. It can't. You can't expect to prevent offense if you allow your emotions to just drive your responses. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you know that right now your flesh is vying and fighting against the Spirit to get you to do something that will gratify it? It's like, it's like that little bratty kid that just goes, I want it, I want it. That's your flesh. That's your flesh. And it's constantly at war with the Spirit. And listen to me, y'all. It's easier to get in the flesh than it is in the Spirit. Exponentially easier. Why? Because you have a hard, like a hard-coated flesh response inside of you since the Garden of Eden. And that's why one of the reasons why when we say yes to Jesus and we invite the Holy Spirit to come in and change who we are, we invite, God invites us to walk by the Spirit so that we can unwire and, and decode that fleshly response and allow the Holy Spirit to come through. The only way to get the Spirit's fruit is through the Spirit's leading. The only way to get the flesh's fruit is through the flesh's leading. So don't walk by the flesh and expect to get the fruit of the Spirit. I just never can be happy. I'm, I'm not happy. Well, you know why you're not happy? You're not walking by the Spirit. Because your flesh will constantly want and constantly want and constantly want. You will never be satisfied. You will eat and eat and eat and eat and you will never get full. But when you walk by the Spirit, you realize all the things that you thought were making you happy to begin with don't mean anything. They're, the, Paul says they're garbage compared to knowing who Christ is. You want the answer? It's Jesus, man. Well, that's what they say in church. Okay, it's the truth. If, if, if anything else was the truth, I'd tell you. But Jesus is the answer. You need a better weapon than an emotional outburst. So that better weapon is the sword of the Spirit. See, the, the Word of God is, is both offensive and defensive in nature. Too often we get offended, and so what we do is we want to go on the offense. Okay, it, we, we want to fight back. So isn't it interesting that the very thing that happens to us when we get offended is that we want to offend somebody back? Like, how crazy is that? So, like, if you say something to me that's offensive to me, and I take offense to it, and I try to offend back, I'm a sinner now. I wasn't sinning when you offended, but I'm sinning when I respond with offense. 
Let me say it with the definitions of offense that we talked about before. Isn't it interesting that the very thing we turn to naturally when we are hit, struck, wounded, or sinned against is that we want to respond with hitting, striking, wounding, and sinning against them? How is that going to work? How, what life is going to come from that? None. You can actually use the Word of God to inflict pain upon people. Maybe you knew that pastor. Maybe you knew that church leader. Maybe you knew a Pharisee. I don't know how old some of y'all are. The sword is also defensive in nature. So what does that mean? It means the moment when you feel exposed and attacked, rather than responding in offense in return, you can activate the defensive nature of the Word of God to protect and defend you in that moment. So you have the offensive part of the sword of the Spirit, and you have the defensive part of the sword of the Spirit. The defensive part is set up to protect you, but the offensive part is not to slay the person that hurt you, but to war against the enemy who's hurting you. Reference to the list we mentioned above, unreasonable expectations, self-focused Christianity, not following the golden rule, more committed to our truth than to God's truth, not committed to love and forgiveness. Let me ask you, does the Word of God say anything about these things? Of course it does. That's how the Word defends us. Let me give you some examples. These church people made me feel rejected. Okay, well, you aren't rejected by God, so you cannot, reclaim, you cannot claim rejection as an identity. Okay, Psalm 27.10, even if my mother and father abandon me, God will hold me close. You're not rejected. The Word of God tells you you're not rejected. Now, does it feel better when people accept us? Absolutely. But if you are getting your identity from whether or not somebody accepts you, again, we're back to idol worship. We can't hate on the Israelites because we do it all the time. What about this one? They lied about me. Whew, my mom used to say this one all the time. Numbers 32.23, your sin will find you out. Y'all know the Holy Spirit's a snitch, right? Holy Spirit, like, you'll be doing something, and the Holy Spirit will be over whispering to your mama, hey, look, this man, <laughs> you got to get him, you know. Like, come on, man, like, how you going to do me like that, Holy Spirit? I'll tell you why, because he wants you better than you are right now. And when I say your sin will find you out, the person that's being offensive, their sin will find them out. Now, look, you may never see the justice come. You may never, they may go to their grave having never experienced the justice that you think they deserve. But real quick question, why do you think you deserve justice? God is the one who deserves justice. The person that hurt you is just a person. What about this one? I was trying to help and they basically shunned me. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Um, quick question. If you are doing something for Jesus, but you're really doing it for an attaboy, I'm telling you right now, that's idol worship. Here we go again. Back to it. You know why we came to plant this church here? Um, it wasn't for attaboys. I know a lot of guys who are in ministry and they go plant a church because they still are in an orphan spirit mindset and mode. And I'm telling you, so many pastors do this, it's, it's insane. But they go plant a church because they think that that church is going to give them the acceptance that they're dying for. And what they end up doing is orphans go plant churches and make more orphans. I spent a lot of time in churches like that. And it's heartbreaking because the only result is a whole bunch of orphans running around. It goes from being a church to an orphanage like that. 
Problem is, nobody's running the thing. Nobody's trying to get people into sonship and daughterhood. But we didn't come to plant this church because of an attaboy. It really had nothing to do with y'all. Truth is, Monique and I left a house we loved, a church we loved, a school we loved, friends we loved, and came down here from an 80,000 town to an 8,000 town, 8,000 person town to plant a church. It's for one reason, because God told us to do it. And if I never hear one person in this room say, hey, Jason, thank you for coming to do this, or hey, you're doing a great job. If I never hear that, I'm not doing it for y'all. I'm doing it because I want to honor God who told me to do it. Now, you know what the benefit is? Is that constantly y'all say, hey, thank you so much for coming down here. I get discouraged too, you know. I don't know if y'all know that. Did you know the pastor gets discouraged sometimes? I got a group of guys that I send a text and instantly they're encouraging me. But we do it for Jesus, not for attaboys. Again, we're talking about preventing hurt. If you're looking to be offended, you're going to find a reason. But when you refuse to be, to be offended, you can't be offended. It's amazing to me. Like, what if you just said it in your heart right now and say, you know what, I'm not going to be offended. I don't care. Come hell or high water, I'm not going to be offended. I don't know if I can refuse to be offended. Then I have a question for you. Either the word isn't strong enough or you don't believe it. Which is it? Listen, it's not your fault if someone does something offensive. Okay, it's not. Do you remember the verse I said before, Luke 17, 1? Jesus said, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Um, the second part to that verse, I didn't read it, is, uh, but woe to the one through whom they come. Um, Proverbs buttresses this in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6, 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. And listen to this last one. One who sows discord among the brethren. That's somebody who loves offending people. God does not look highly upon people who cause offense. So this is something we need to check ourselves on. A lot of times we check ourselves to see if we are offended, but hey, what about are you being offensive? Are you creating offense? So that leads me to this, that if it's not your fault if somebody does something offensive, but hear me, it is your fault if you get offended. It's the truth. Again, talking about how to prevent offense. One of the best ways to prevent offense is to not be offended. Okay? Luke 6, 28 through 36. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on your cheek, offer the other also. And for the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. I hated these verses when I was an orphan. You know why? Because I never got my justice. I never got my revenge. I never got, and you know what? These verses to me, they look like somebody, it's like God is condoning abuse. 
If they hit you in one, just turn the other cheek. Hey, hit this one too, buddy. Even it out. They take your cloak. Take, I don't even know what a cloak and a tunic is, but if they take your shirt, take your britches. Well, leave your britches on. <laughs> but I didn't like this verse. Do you like it? Here's what I realized, though. These verses are not about enduring abuse. They're about refusing to be offended. Hey, you just punched me. I should be offended at you. Here's the other side, too. It's not saying, I welcome the abuse. No. If you're in an abusive situation, get out of it. Okay? Dead serious. That's not even playing games with that. But this verse is about you refusing to be offended. But why? Why is, why is refusing to be offended such a big deal? Well, it's partially because people who can't be offended can't be hurt. And again, we're talking about preventing hurt. But second, because God wants you to do this, number two is to know the real enemy. Would you believe me if I told you that every person who hurt you was not trying to hurt you, but the enemy was trying to use them to hurt your identity in Christ, your trust in your Father, your ability to fulfill your purpose in your life? Now, that doesn't mean that what bad people did was okay. It does not condone anything that they've done. But it does mean that them hurting you was probably not their desired result. Now, there are some crazy people out there. They just like hurting people. And I get it. I'm not making this a blanket statement. Um, but it still doesn't change the fact that the person that hurt you is not your enemy. Okay? They're not your enemy. You know who the enemy is? It's not your abuser. It's not that manipulative pastor. It's not the horrible father. Satan is your enemy. He's the enemy. And he used those people to try to annihilate you and your purpose. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's the same spirits that stormed into the garden and have Eve all up on that apple. It's the same spirit. Okay? But, but we have to remember that as Christians, we follow the light. Jesus is the light. And that light gets to go in and literally break up to aggressively take down the darkness. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far it's up to you. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Here's another verse I couldn't stand. I wanted my revenge. How come I can't have my revenge? Come on, Jesus. They hurt me. Let me get them. You know you've said it before. Jesus, is, mm, let me get in a room with them real quick. Just give me five minutes, Jesus. Five minutes with them in a room. I'm going to jack them up. I know you thought it before. I know you thought it. But here's the problem. I don't have the ability to punish the person who was really responsible. And that's Satan. Satan just used a person to hurt me. But God has the power to punish Satan. So why can't I have revenge on the one that hurt me? Because first, I would have to let, I would have to give God the okay to let the people that I've hurt have revenge on me too. That's one thing. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want that. No, 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 no. Don't sign me up for that one. But there's another part. Um, what if God wanted to use me to help bring restoration to that person? And I cannot repay them with violence and restore them at the same time. I realize some of you are like, no, nah, I don't want anything to do with them being restored. I hear you. But I think sometimes we pray more for our restoration than we pray for anything else. 
And I think you do need to be restored. That's an important prayer. Um, but if you really want to know you're forgiven, you can know if you start praying for that person to be restored rather than to be revenged. Um, the source of your greatest hurt in your life may very well have been Satan's last-ditch effort to undermine you and to destroy your mission, but it could also be God trying to do everything he can to help you be a part of the restoration of the process, even the people that have hurt you. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love. That word cover, it means to conceal, to cover, listen to this, to fill up the hollows within. So what if your decision today to stop seeing the people that hurt you as the enemy opens up your heart to the potential of God using you to help fill the hollows inside of them? Tell me something. Do you, have you ever met anybody that hurt people and they did it out of their own hurt? You ever met anybody that um, they were abused when they were little, so they abuse? Have you ever met anybody who's walking out an identity in their life right now simply because of the abuse that they endured when they were young? Have you ever met anybody that seems like they are empty and lifeless inside and so they hurt people to try to get them to the place where at least they feel something? What if God could use you and your hurt to help bring a a, a filling of those hollow spaces inside of them? You have an enemy bent on your destruction. You have to know offenses will come. You have to know who your real enemy is. And lastly, you have to choose to love no matter what. Choose to love. Look, we're talking about uh, preventing hurt. But when I lead with hurt, I hurt others. But when I lead with love, I'm followed by goodness and mercy. I'm followed by grace and compassion. Okay? Psalm 23 and 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Well, I said mercy, grace, I said goodness, mercy, grace, and compassion. So, what about, I see the goodness and mercy, but what about the other two? Just, just read Psalm 23. It's very short. Here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, all of those things, those are the first three. They, they occur out of a relationship with God. So when I receive his love and I reciprocate his love, I receive his benefits that that love includes, and, and they include these, the, the knowledge of who he is. God is my shepherd. He's my protector. He's my provision. My needs so perfectly met that my wants aren't even a thought. You ever had somebody say, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And you're like, I don't socks. Like, I don't know. I, I have everything I want. That's, you're, in a, you're in an awesome place where you can't figure out what you want for Christmas, right? Just give me the money you're going to spend on me. Come on, somebody. Because your wants are taken care of, right? They're not even a thought here. Rest to my soul when I'm weary to prone uh, and weary and prone to mistakes. Provision, not just in a physical sense, but for my spirit as well. Restoration, even when my soul errs. Direction in the midst of this journey I'm on, with a with a helping hand of righteousness to keep me in the right place. That's what you get as benefits. That's just the first three. So when I allow the Lord to leave with love, I walk in it, even when offenses come. In Psalm 23, David addresses that. Look at verse 4. Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. So even as I'm surrounded by that which is trying to destroy me, when offenses are coming and my enemy is present, God and his love for me not only delivers me, but, but he comforts me. He anoints me. He overflows me. I'm washed in compassion and love. Have you ever wanted to go sit down and have lunch with the person that abused you? Come on, do anybody want that? I would love to go to Jackson and have a hamburger with you. No, you don't want to do that. 
But what if, because you are so wrapped up in God's love for you and the fact that he's your shepherd and he's providing everything you need, what if God prepared a table? He prepared an opportunity for you to interact with that person so that some goodness and gentleness and some goodness and mercy and grace and compassion could flow into that moment. I'm not saying you have to be friends with them again, but what if God was going to use you to help bring healing to their lives? You know, you come to church and you find somebody in this church that maybe has experienced some of the same struggles that you've gone through. And you go have a coffee and y'all talk through them and, and they teach you some things that they did to help them get over it. And you find slowly, the more you interact, you're getting over it and you're getting over it. What if they never had somebody like that? Now, I'm saying they might not, it might not be you. You might not be the person that God uses for that. But what if you are? What if you are? Are you going to take advantage of the table God has set before you in the presence of your enemies? Or are you going to say to God, I refuse to have any part of restoration of that person? The result is this. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's my point. I can either choose hurt and offense and allow brokenness and bitterness and anger and malice and revenge to follow me. Or I can choose love and allow goodness and mercy, grace and compassion to follow me. I get a choice. I can choose love. No offenses will come. Know your enemy. But family, choose love no matter what. And um, in October 22, I was preaching a message on unity. And um, I said in the message, God is looking for people who are hungrier for unity than they are for their own appetites. So in the context of this conversation about choosing love today, let me say it to you like this. God is looking for people who love restoration more than they love revenge. I can't do anything about the hurt that you've endured. I have no control over that. but we can help you prevent hurt that might come. And it does have to start with you understanding that offenses are coming. It does start with you understanding that the enemy is not the person that's offending you. But there's an incredible verse in 1 Peter 4.8. It says, Above all, love each other deeply. You know why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. I don't have an enemy to forgive that person. Great. Love covers a multitude of sins. Just, just love them. I can't love them. Okay? Love them out of Christ's heart for them then. It's impossible that every person in this room right now that you've not experienced hurt. In fact, some of you right now might be sitting here in this moment with hurts inside of you still. Uh, some of them may have, have been dealt with. Maybe you got some scars. Maybe you got some wounds that they're wounds, but they're not bleeding. Maybe some of you are cut open your bare right now. My question is, how are you handling offenses? How are you handling those, those hurts, those offenses? Let me ask a better question. How should you be handling them? If you're carrying those offenses and they've become hurts, then we have to do what we've been doing this month. We have to acknowledge that hurt. We have to forgive that hurt. But now it's time to prevent that hurt, okay? So here's what you can do. You can release that today. You can choose love. You can choose forgiveness. Okay? You can choose to let it go. You can choose goodness and mercy, grace and compassion.
You really can't. Some of you may need to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. But you can do it. So here's what I want you to do today. Would you just bow your heads for a moment? I'm going to give you the opportunity to uh, respond to the Lord right now. You can't prevent a hurt that's already happened. But one of the worst things you can do is to not learn from the hurt so that you can be ready for it the next time it comes around. Listen to me. You may have experienced hurt around the bend, but there's another opportunity for offense coming around the next bend. If you say yes to Jesus and you are living your life for Him, i got to be honest with you, offenses are coming. It's going to happen. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? You don't have to pray this like out loud, yelling across the room or anything like that. But wherever you are, if you would, I just want, to, I want you to pray this prayer with me. and Just let air come out of your mouth. Let it be a confession. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to help us with these hurts. Jesus, you told us to cast our cares upon you. So in this moment, we take our offenses, our hurts, our brokenness, our, our desire for revenge, God. And we cast it all upon you. Forgive us for holding on to these hurts. I receive your healing right now in Jesus' name. I choose to love in this moment. I choose to stop seeing people as the enemy. And right now, I resist you, Satan, as my enemy. We lay down the need for revenge by the power of the Holy Spirit and ask God that your love would bring restoration to our hearts and to the hearts of those who hurt me. In Jesus' name, amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.